Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. So if you want to open your Bibles to John chapter 15, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17 here in just a moment and, and uh, just have a little bit of family business. want to encourage those of you that are be traveling this summer and just a reminder, we have a Thursday night service. It's the same as our weekend service, uh, on our Sunday service rather. It begins at 645 every Thursday. If you have travel plans and you want to stay connected to your church community and worship with your friends and family, we just want to remind you of that and encourage you as the summer begins and travel plans increase uh, that you keep that in mind. Also just want to be grateful today for several things. I did some uh, research, and in part of my research this week, I found something I uh, thought was fascinating. It was an explanation of what we as a country do to honor those who have served in our military, and I, I appreciate it. It said, Armed Forces Day, which is the third Saturday in May, is to honor those currently in uniform. Veterans Day in September is to honor those who used to wear the uniform, and Memorial Day is a day set aside to honor those who never made it out of uniform. When I thought that, it really struck my heart to be reminded of the differences of the ways that we celebrate. And I never want us to forget, and I know you haven't, but just a general reminder on a day that we gather in gratitude to worship, that we thank God that we could get up this morning and choose what we wore and choose how we got here and choose to come to this place and worship, and we weren't stopped and we weren't questioned and we were permitted. And those freedoms that we have in this country that many, many people across the world don't have were fought for, and people gave their lives for it. And so just be grateful tomorrow as you cook your burgers and your brats and everything else you do on Memorial Day. Remember, that freedom was paid for at a price too. And uh, we're a grateful people, and as believers even more so, and just want to honor those, uh, the memory of those who never got out of uniform for the sake of freedom, and just appreciate it. Also, uh, not to be trite, Uh, But in light of that, I am grateful that we have a place to worship today. I am grateful that there is a roof on this building. You hear what's going on outdoors, right? I'm grateful because on Wednesday night, we didn't know. Uh, The way it was coming, we thought, oh my goodness, we may have a tent out in the parking lot, but that we have a beautiful building to worship in on this property, and we were untouched. Our hearts go out to those uh, in the Carl Junction area in Golden City, who uh, those who lost lives in Golden City, and those who lost their possessions and their property, but we're very grateful that no lives were lost in in CJ. And uh, once again, as we just gather to worship, we just want to remember that we don't always understand why God protects some and he doesn't protect others. But we're here, as Chip already said, we're here to bless and serve those who have been troubled and discouraged. And we're going to continue to do that. Your contributions just a moment ago will help us do that. And uh, as, as more needs come, we'll present them to you. But we are just grateful to be here today and want to thank God for that. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, for those moments that you protect us from calamity and harm, we are so grateful. And for those moments, God, that that we're allowed to go through that, we don't always understand it, but we're going to learn to trust in you. And to have this place today to protect us from the rain, a place to gather and worship, remember who you are and celebrate that. We pray for those families that are troubled by the loss of their homes and possessions. God, may we be able to administer your love to them in some way. And for those that are grieving the loss of loved ones in Golden City, God, we pray that the community of faith in those towns would circle them and guide them and help them and protect them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if that was God answering me, but that was pretty awesome. (laughs) John chapter, I'm kind of scared it was. John chapter 15, I think he was saying, quit praying, preach. Okay, so in John chapter 15, 
we remember that we're in the last night before Jesus gets betrayed in the garden. They have left the, left the upper room and they're headed toward the garden where he's going to be betrayed by Judas, taken prisoner uh, by the soldiers and persecuted uh, unlawfully. And in the midst of this, we want to remember that that's the context by which Jesus is teaching and talking with his disciples as they head toward the garden. And he's using some metaphors pretty powerfully this last night. He's used the new Passover and the new covenant in his blood. And he presented that what we call the be invited to Jesus' table, the Lord's Supper communion. And then he used the Passover, or the, rather the metaphor of washing feet, and he related that to the cleansing of his blood on the cross and how that would wash us of what is unclean in each and every one of us. And then he used the metaphor of preparing a new home, an abode, a place, a palace that he was preparing for us and he would come back and bring us to be with him in a new kingdom with his father. In Genesis 128, another metaphor was offered when God said, be fruitful, increase the number, fill the earth and subdue it. He was speaking to Adam and Eve and he told them to produce life, to have babies, to fill God's earth, to fulfill God's purpose, to be a part of God's plan, to have dominion over this world. That fruitfulness Uh, metaphor or image has been present throughout the Old and New Testaments. In the Old Testament, it is talked about those who love God and serve his purpose. It's also used on a few occasions in the Old Testament where it's called fruitful-less, where they're not producing fruit, and it's referring to those that are in rebellion against God's plan for them, a rebellion against God's desire for us to fulfill our purposes the way he created us. In the New Testament, This fruitfulness is often used as a metaphor for uh, Christ-like character, joy, hope, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, and the fruit of the Spirit. So this has been out there since the very, very beginning, but this is a metaphor that Jesus captures and uses that night when he's going to remind his disciples that what's about to happen to him would be very, very important for their future, but in the present, there was something that he wanted to give them to. And he's going to use this metaphor and... uh, It's quite fascinating when we think about what he does with it. Let me tell you what this metaphor is, first of all. We're going to talk about it in three different ways. It's a growth metaphor that he uses it. He uses this imagery of something growing. Verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. From the very beginning, he establishes two views on this, two word pictures for us to remember. That he's the vine, and we're the branches, and the branches come out of the vine, and they're sustained by the vine, and God is the gardener of that. So the children of the kingdom, the kingdom itself, the church, the growth, the life, the renewal, all of this comes from Jesus alone. It doesn't come from our own innate ability to do anything. It all comes from Jesus as the source. And God is the gardener who planted that vine in the right place at the right time. Galatians 4.4 says in the perfect moment, he planted that. He planted it for a purpose. He planted it to produce fruit. You don't plant the vine, if you don't expect there to be fruit from it, and that fruit had a reason and a purpose. So he creates these two images for us. So it's a growth metaphor. Second of all, it's a shaping metaphor. And this can make us a bit uncomfortable, but it's a reality that we get to deal with, and Jesus was telling his disciples on the night that he was about to be shaped and shape future, that there would be some shaping done in us too. Verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it will be even more fruitful. Jesus will shape the whole vine, the whole branch, the whole purpose. Scary? Could be. It depends how you view the gardener. And this is what I think is part for us to wrestle with today. 
Has there been a season in your life where you've been fruitful and you've been connected with God and you feel like good things are happening not only in you, but those good things then begin to splash out and bless other people? Yeah, there's moments like that. And then there's seasons where it doesn't seem like we're connected to God at all, like, like there's any life in us, like anything good is happening. In fact, sometimes it feels like it's just hard. It's, it was harder to be connected to Jesus in the kingdom than it was to actually go live the lives that we left and abandoned in our brokenness. What do we do with that? Did God throw you away? Has God quit on you? Has God abused you? Well, it says in verse 2 that he cuts off every branch, which is interesting because we might think that that means he just lops it off, he gets fed up with us, he gets discouraged, and we're done. But actually, the word cut off is the concept of lifting up. And in my research, when I learned this, I thought it was fascinating that, that a gardener would run a wire or a piece of twine or something or a piece of wood that would hold up a weakened branch that needed to be out in the sunlight or into the breeze to dry out or whatever the case would be. And by the strength of the gardener, that would be lifted up before it was removed and given the full opportunity to grow. The gardener's first action with an unproductive vine is not to kill it, but to lift it up and, buy, and take the pressure off of it so it can grow the way it was intended to grow. It's a beautiful metaphor. In God's kindness, he lifts us up. But in God's kindness also, he, he sometimes shapes us. He sometimes removes parts of us. He sometimes clips us. And we ask the question, why is God doing this? Does he hate me? Is he mad at me? Is he paying me back for my past sins? Why, why are these difficulties coming? Because we live in a world where everybody says, if God really loves you, your life should be easy. Your life should be comfortable. Your life should be so simple that you have everything you need with no questions asked. <clears throat> That's not biblical. That's just man wishing really hard. Because the truth is, God's a gardener. And sometimes God has to do some things in our lives that we don't always appreciate to get us where we need to be to grow, to gather our attention. So I'm going to use an an example, and I'm going to use a metaphor. Let's try that. I'm going to use a metaphor to explain a metaphor. Let's see how this works. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but one of the worst moments of my being a father, one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, which means I have not had a hard life, was one one time when, when our oldest son was a preschooler. I'm remembering somewhere between four and five years of age. He was a little guy, and he was at the dinner table, and he pointed out something to me, and I noticed something on his finger was bright red. So I grabbed his little hand, and I flipped it over, and the minute I did, he pulled his hand back really defiantly, which isn't his nature, and he said, no, Daddy. Those two words in combination hurt my heart. No made me angry. Daddy hurt me because it was like, what are you hiding? And we looked, and he'd gotten a sliver in his finger, got a piece of wood stuck in there and he didn't tell anybody because he was scared. And it was now over and it was red and it was sensitive. And I knew what that was. That's an infection. And so we had to have this conversation that he didn't want to have with his daddy. I need to get that out. Nope. And he was like going to fight me. And his mom was on the other side of the table and she wanted to fight me too, but it had nothing to do with the sliver. It was just general, <laughs> general relationship stuff, you know? So she's hearing her son with tears in his eyes, begging me not to, let, to do this. And I'm not the hero of this story, but I remember what my father had to do for me one time. And I had lived this moment with my dad. <clears throat> and my dad explained to me, if they don't take the sliver out, you're going to lose your finger. And then you're going to lose your hand. And you're going to lose your life. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So we held it down. My dad pulled out his pocket knife. I loved my son more than that. So I went and got a sewing needle. And I turned on our gas grill and I heated it up and I explained to him, I'm not going to do anything to you, you don't let me do, but I'm going to have to break the skin. 
I'm going to have to just break that first level of skin. And if we get down close to it, we can squeeze your finger and that little sliver will pop out. No, no. And he kept holding his little hand. So we held his arm down on the table. His mom put her forearm down on his. We made him look away. Everyone had tears in their eyes. Basically, I saved my son's life. No tears. No, please just (laughs) hold your applause. It was really one of the toughest things I had to do, and you understand why. Because my son thought I was hurting him. And he couldn't understand why I wouldn't just let him live as he was and not take out what was going to kill him. And now do you understand the metaphor of the gardener pruning the branches so they can actually live healthy and produce the fruit they were created to produce? Nod your head if you do. So you see what Jesus is doing here because remember, he's about to go away and they're going to miss him over the weekend and wonder what is going on. And he's saying, God even shapes you through me. What he did on that cross. So there's two things that we know from scripture that God sometimes does to shape us so we can grow. He brings pain. Pain is a sign of something. In Hebrews and Proverbs, both those books in your Bible, it says that God disciplines the children that he loves and for a season... That discipline is painful, but he does it because he loves us. He doesn't do it to punish us. God's discipline is to keep us healthy and alive and to extract from us what needs extracted and to add into us what needs added. And sometimes it's horrible and sometimes it's public. Sometimes it just makes us grieve. He also does it through failure. Not everything works out. Not every prayer gets answered. Not every story ends like Disney wants it to. Not everyone's successful. Not everyone's well-remembered. I find it fascinating the more I read biographies, which I do to kind of decompress. When I read biographies, the number of people who are famous now who, when they died, weren't famous at all. Nobody knew what they had contributed. They were just the person who passed, and it was later that something they thought of that was well ahead of its time or something they dreamed of or something they invested in that nobody, that everybody made fun of. Some of the greatest inventors in the world have been openly mocked for their ideas that we now use every day for our convenience and comfort. Sometimes failure is what God does to take away from us things like pride and attitude and a lack of gratefulness. God's telling us to hold still. My grandmother used to say that to me a hundred times a Sunday in church. My mom was down in junior church with all the little kids. My dad was at the front serving in some capacity. He was just an elder in the church, but he would serve offering a communion and help out, do announcements and stuff like this. So we would sit with my grandma and grandpa. I've shared the boring stories with you about my grandpa feeding me candy to keep me quiet, and I loved him. My grandmother was a disciplinarian. She'd snap her fingers, and every kid in the church feared her. She really shouldn't fear her, but she didn't take stuff from anybody. And when she snapped her fingers, she didn't care what your last name was. You better be still. She used to also give me spit baths, which I have forgiven her for. I always wondered how her licking her finger and wiping something on my face made me less or more clean than I was before. I don't understand that. But she'd say to me while she was doing this, hold still. I was like, oh, woman, if you weren't my grandma. (laughs) Alex, hold still. I got to get this out of you. God says, Mark, hold still. I know what I'm doing. You see, pain and failure may seem like punishment unless you know the gardener then you trust that he has your best intentions. It's also a comforting metaphor because Jesus is going to offer us something in in the holding still that matters. Verse three and four. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain or abide in me and I will remain, abide in you. 
remain or abide in me, and I will remain or abide in you. I know some of your translations say abide. Some of the older ones say remain. The, the truth of it is it's a beautiful picture here. Stay connected to the source. As a branch, stay alive in the vine. See, notice that Jesus is saying, in me you have all you need to do all together with me what we intend to do. Some of the translations say abide or remain. In fact, Paul uses a different word. He says, say rooted in Christ. Go down deep in the soil. Be planted where God plants you and draw deeply from what God has provided for you. Verse four, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The fruitfulness that God desires from us is not found in any innate ability you and I have. It's found in the beautiful part that Jesus is providing this through us by simply abiding in him, remaining in him, staying connected, staying engaged, staying participating in a relationship that's life itself. What does it mean to remain or abide? What does this look like? What does Jesus provide for us should we do this? Should we stay connected? It's that whole imagery that Paul uses about the body. He said, a toe can't tell an arm that one is more necessary than the other. When they're connected to the entire body, they all have purpose. Do you see how these things have been throughout the New Testament? This constant reminder. What does it mean to remain or abide? It means to be faithful. Faithfulness is where we find our life. Faithfulness is where we find our hope. Verse 6 says, if anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Uh, The scholarship that I read suggests that Jesus is actually referring to Isaiah chapter 5 and Ezekiel chapter 15, where imagery is used of the vine and the gardener all the way back in the Old Testament. This is one of God's favorite metaphors to connect us to him. And in that metaphor, what they're actually talking about is a branch off of a vine, or a vine itself is not strong enough to produce furniture or to, to build and structure a home. It doesn't have that dexterity and strength. And so if it's not producing fruit, you might as well cut it down and burn it. That's all it is, is for a momentary wisp of heat. It's powerful imagery here. And Jesus is saying that if you abide in me, you can't help but produce fruit. If you take yourself away from me, you have no other value you bring. It's just a momentary thing, if it's that. Eugene Peterson has one of my favorite books I've ever read on discipleship. Well, it's one of the most formative books I've ever read on discipleship, and it's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I read about three years ago something that did alter me. It wasn't that it was that profound. It was just so incredibly practical. It made sense to my heart, and that is that you drive a habit, and then a habit drives you. Let me explain what that means, because you have this experience in your lifetime. There were certain things you never did. Maybe eat well or exercise or study or prepare or whatever it is. Even your job, you had to learn the disciplined habit of doing a certain thing a certain way. You're a welder. You had to learn how to do that safely with all the right tools and how to do that and protect those around you and protect the material that you were producing. You had to learn all of that. And you didn't know how to do it, but you had to go and change the way you did things to do it the right way. And then you found out that now you don't even have to think about doing it the right way. You drove the habit, and then the habit drives you. Those of you that I don't know why you do this, you run long distances. I have a friend here who runs 100 miles over a weekend and tells me about it. I pray for him. I don't know what else to do. He just didn't get up and run 26 miles in a day. He trained 
He drove the habit, and now what? I see him running all year long. Outdoors, middle of the night, I see a headlight on a body bobbing up and down. I'm like, hey, Steve, <laughs> as I go somewhere else. You see, you drive the habit, and the habit drives you. Listen to me when I tell you about faithfulness. Faithfulness is not something you're good at. You become good at it. You discipline yourself to remain faithful to Jesus, to abide in him, to grow in him. And when you get faithfulness and you begin the discipline of choosing Jesus over everything else, and that doesn't mean you don't get to do anything else. It just means that anything else becomes secondary to the most important thing, faithfulness. You get awareness and attentiveness. In other words, your mind will begin to focus on the relationship that matters and an awareness of how that relationship is feeding everything else in your life. Verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. I have always struggled with the discipline of prayer. I'm not against prayer. I just don't naturally default to it. I'm a selfish person who has things to do and I get burdened by this. I was sharing this with the staff last Monday and I I struggle with it and I've come to understand this and it's given me some freedom. I'm really not struggling with prayer. I'm struggling with abiding. And when I'm I'm not interested in studying the word, I'm actually not struggling with studying the scriptures. I'm studying with, I'm struggling with abiding. You see, think about it. For some in this room, you, you don't open the, the word of God. And I'm not shaming you. I, I just want to have an honest conversation this morning about what abiding feels like and looks like and needs to become for us. If you can go every day of your life, any day of your life, without opening the word of God or stopping and having a moment where you pause and ponder the power and the truth of God's word, what it says about him, what it says about you, and what it says about the world we live in. If those truths aren't permeating your mind, then you're living and believing in the lies of a culture that speaks to you every day, and you don't even have to have the discipline to hear their truth. And if you're not in the word of God, And if the word's boring to you or you don't know what to do with it, it's either you've not disciplined yourself to receive the benefit of it or you're really just struggling with abiding with Jesus. You want Jesus to do things for you but never actually change you, speak into you and guide you. Same thing with giving. I know it's a touchy subject, but there are people who take and take and take. You see, one of the tests of discipleship is when you move from being a consumer to a contributor. And I don't mean financially, but that's part of it. I love Zoe's story this morning about the kid with the rock. It's just natural nature because of his love for Jesus to give. But there are people who have struggled with prayer and they struggle with Bible study and they struggle with giving and they don't invest in the kingdom. They're just consumers. They want Jesus to save them, but there's no glory. There's no honor. There's no putting Jesus first. And somehow we believe that that's like normal. Like that's, that's acceptable. It's like a ball player who comes and picks up a uniform and never goes to practice and shows up to games. They're not really invested at all. See, the issue is not whether you give money or whether you read your Bible, whether you pray. The question is that those things aren't a part of our lives because we're not abiding with Jesus. And we need to draw deeply into that because then all of a sudden, and I can tell you this from personal testimony, When you begin to fall back on Jesus, prayer becomes natural, Bible study becomes natural, and giving becomes natural. I don't do those things so Jesus is pleased with me. I do those things because he's already pleased with me. And I desire that. 
faithfulness, attentiveness, awareness, taking time to sit in the presence of God and receive what he has for us becomes natural. Fruit cannot stop itself from being grown on a branch connected to the vine. And then there's the emptying of self for the law of love. And this is where our motivation comes to the faithfulness, attentiveness, and awareness. I want to see that the emptying of self for the law of love. We say this around here very often. You don't have to do it. You get to. This is the privilege of being a part of God's kingdom is that our service isn't obligatory. Our service is a response to what he's already done for us. Verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Notice this, that Jesus said, discipleship is shown by the fruit you produce. Fruit in and of itself is evidence. It's an evidence of being a contributor rather than a consumer. God does not exist so that we have good self-esteem or successful or actualized or we, we fulfill our destiny. None of those things are true. We exist so that God would receive glory and people would understand that we serve a king we love, not a king we fear, not a king we're threatened by. We don't serve Jesus so one day we get to go to heaven. We serve Jesus because he's Jesus and he deserves it. He deserves our passionate response to who he is. Verse 9 As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. We've all met people who live for themselves and they seem really happy. They seem powerful and successful and we sometimes wonder if they're okay. We sometimes wonder, maybe if, if I had that, I'd be happier, more joyful. And Jesus is trying to show us that, no, if, if your past is only going to remain a past and has nothing to do with your future, what good is it? Abiding in Jesus allows you and I to live in such a way that the future is undeniably under the same power that our today is and our past was. That he died to show us his love, the love from the Father to us through Jesus, and that we get to contribute back. So if I struggle with bearing fruit, if I struggle with giving, if I struggle with praying and reading my scriptures and trying to understand this God who loves me so well and what Jesus did for me and the power of the Holy Spirit in me, it's not that I struggle with those individual things. I'm really struggling with abiding in him and drawing close to him. The question is not how do I pray more or how do I do more or how do I love more? The question is how can I abide more? And it's the law of love. When abiding with God, we bear the kind of fruitfulness. It's the difference between a with God life and a for God life. A with God life is journeying on the path that Jesus is directing and fulfilling the purposes for which he's called us. The for God life are religious activities that we do to say we did them. Like we're contractually, we've, we've met the obligation of the contract. No, Jesus calls us to a with God life, an abiding with him. A beautiful metaphor. And then he concludes it all in verses 12 through 17 by simply giving us the motivation for abiding. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. 
Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. The why behind abiding is because we're loved. The expression of our abiding is to love. It's to love God and share his glory. It's to love others so they know his glory. You want to bear fruit? You want to glorify God? You want to have joy? Then love people as God loved you. Jesus said, you are my friends. I love that. I think we could spend the rest of our lives meditating on that. I give you that today. Here's the gift of gratitude. Meditate on the friends, that, or meditate on the, the fact that Jesus said, you are my friends, not my servants. I'm not obligating you to do this. I'm asking you to. I'm calling you to this. What a gift. The with God life changes everything. What do we receive? We've been forgiven. We've been loved. We've been called. We've been made fruitful. We've been chosen. He's going to prepare a place for us. And through the cross and the resurrection he did, he's coming back to receive us, to bring us back to himself, all because God loved us, all because Jesus loved us enough to come on God's behalf, all because he died on the cross through love, and all because he will raise us in resurrection through love. Hold still. It may be difficult. It may be painful at times. It may seem that there are periods of time where I, I go out and I look at... Uh, a plant in the backyard and it's producing nothing. There's no berries on it. There's no flowers on it. There's nothing on it. And I wonder, is this, maybe you're in a season right now that feels like this January, December, and March where nothing's growing. But remember, God is faithful and God is good and he's working in your life. And if you can hold still and just abide in the love of Jesus and lean back into that love and offer him your love in return, those flowers will come. Those berries will come. That fruitfulness will show itself. You can't be stopped if we stay connected. So I'm going to give you three quick things. For your head, understand the opportunity he is offering you to abide. Ask yourself, what do I need to get rid of to abide? I'm going to love him enough to get rid of my distractions, so understanding him is important. For your hearts, cherish the ways in which he strengthens us. Cherish that it's not reliant on you and me. It's always reliant on him. And for your hands, open the word of God and talk to him. Abide in his word, abide in his spirit, abide with him through the things that he's given us. It is a long obedience in the same direction and it will produce life. Around this room are four tables. Maybe this morning you're discouraged and abiding in Jesus is difficult and understanding the love of Jesus is difficult and discouraging and you're in a season right now where it's dark and painful and you feel like you're failing at everything. We'd love to pray with you. We just won't pray for you, we'll pray with you. And People have gone to these tables right now to meet you there. That they might pray with you this day. We will commit to one week to praying with you over and over every day that Jesus would become so real in your life that abiding with him will be the joy of your heart. Or maybe you've never given yourself to Jesus and so you're, you've never proclaimed who he is. You've never told him or anyone else, I do believe he is the son of the living God and I believe he is everything he promised and you've never given yourself to discipleship. Drive the habit and the habit will drive you. Trust him. Step out in faith and see what he, if he doesn't meet you there and provide you forgiveness and hope in life. So we stand here in this next moment to sing songs that focus our minds on what we've just heard and our promises received from him. If you'd like someone to pray with you or if you have a decision you'd like to share with us, please, as we stand together, head to those tables. 
Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.